Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Thank you guys for being here this morning. Good to see you all way back there. For those of you guys watching online, there are 10,000 people here. It's a strange Sunday. Uh, yeah, it's a crazy day. Thank you guys for making it out here. I can take this off now, actually. Uh, yeah, so uh, thank you guys for making it out. Man, what uh, what uh, events conspiring against us, it feels like, right here in the beginning of 2022. It's freaking cold outside. I don't even know if that's necessarily an event, but we're treating it as one. Uh, you got the Omicron going on. Man, it's out there. It's a thing now, apparently. I thought we were done with COVID. I feel like the next 10 years of our life might just be thinking that we're done with COVID. But here you are, because you guys are the most spiritual, and I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Uh, this is January 2nd, um, so uh, I, as a pastor, am obliged to do a sermon about resolutions. I'm sorry. I, my hands are tied in the matter. I know you're tired about it. I am tired about it as well. It's kind of like making Christmas movie references during Advent. It's just one of those things that I have to do or else I lose my license, and so I'm sorry. Uh, have you ever talked to somebody and uh, you like come up and you're like, hey, man, uh, you're looking really good. You lost a bunch of weight. Uh, you're looking really healthy, the healthiest you've ever been. And they go, yeah, I had a New Year's resolution. Like, has that ever happened in the history of humanity? Like, you get a few months in, somebody's looking really trim, and you're like, how'd you do it? They're like, well, I set a New Year's resolution, and here I am, you know, six months later, I'm still at it. No, that never, ever, ever, ever happens. You know, I'm really bad, actually. Uh, I've given up completely on setting them because uh, I don't even just remember them three weeks in. Like, it's not like I've, like, failed at them already. It's like I've forgotten that they even ever existed. And I think that's, like, very often the case. And yet still, there's this weird sense of, like, the change of the year, the beginning. There's, like, you know, this fresh start. I guess we made it all the way around the sun one more time, you know, or something. Uh, that's what happens, right? I'm not really good at the astrology kind of thing. I'm pretty sure that's it. We made it around the sun. The sun made it around us, maybe some would argue. I don't know. Pre-Galileo. Uh, anyway, uh, so, uh, yeah, that's what happens, and we celebrate that by saying, hey, I'm going to try something, and then feel bad about myself a month later when I fail at it. So uh, what I'm going to do today is give you the actual easiest uh, resolution that you can probably ever have. It's something that's going to provide you satisfaction, immediate gratification, and it's actually going to be like fairly easy for you, which they say in forming habits are kind of like the two pieces, right? Like reducing friction and then also like rewarding yourself when you do it well. And man, this is just such an easy one as we lean into this book of Philippians here in the new year. Today we are going to talk a lot about gratitude. Now, uh, it's not something that I think we talk about too, too much. And uh, a part of that is because, uh, you know, we sort of at, here at Dwell, we kind of stray away from just like very like moralistic teaching. Like, yeah, uh, we believe the Bible teaches us how to live, but it also sort of teaches us a little bit more than that. And it teaches us how to be and, and who we are and about God and all of these other things. And so very seldom will you come in and I'll be like, hey, we're today we're talking about kindness. Here's three steps to being kind, you know. But uh, what's strange and what strikes me really about this passage particularly as we lean into the book of Philippians is the way in which Paul here starts off the entire book by being incredibly grateful to the people that he is writing to. Now remember, uh, Paul writes most of the New Testament in the form of these epistles where he's writing these letters to different churches across the known world at the time. And he wastes 
Now remember, writing was very taxing and expensive back then to do. And then also, you know, this is probably, this is a few years into uh, sort of Paul's uh, ministry here. He's written a few of these letters already. He knows how important these are going to be. They're going to be passed around from church to church. Uh, it's, it's unclear as to whether or not he knows that this is sort of going to become foundational scripture for us at some point. And yet he still uses a paragraph and even more throughout the rest of the book. But at least this beginning paragraph he uses to just say, man, I am exceptionally grateful for you guys. And that's the way that he starts this book. You'll find as we go through Philippians that a lot of this is not so much just uh, Paul saying, hey, here's how you ought to live and here's three steps of how to do it. But instead, a lot of the book of Philippians is Paul saying, hey, I'm going to show you how I'm actually living my life. I'm going to show you how it's going for me. I'm going to like actually model this uh, by what I say and what I tell you that I'm doing and everything like that. And then you have the freedom and the ownership to sort of draw your own conclusions from that. So today, we are looking at the way in which Paul is grateful for the Philippians. Now, uh, a little bit of context. Um, Paul had come to Philippi on his second missionary journey. He had these two big sort of like long trips where he traveled around the Mediterranean. Uh, this actually pops up in the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 16, if anybody wants to sort of go back and read that. We'll probably be popping in and out of that passage or that book and that passage, particularly as we're reading through Philippians, because it gives a lot of context to what Paul is doing here. So he and Silas pop into Philippians. They're actually on their way to somewhere else, but Philippians was kind of like an important sort of transit kind of city. They pop in, and uh, they look for a synagogue, but they can't find one. So they start speaking by a river to a woman named Lydia, who comes to faith in Christ. She is a seller of purple linens. It's a very niche market, right? Just purple is what she goes in for. Uh, so she is a seller of fine purple um, goods, I suppose. She comes to faith in Jesus. Um, they cast a demon out of a slave girl. Then their owner gets mad and throws them in jail. While they're in jail, there's this big earthquake, and uh, they decide not to leave, even though all the doors open up, and they actually convince the other prisoners not to leave, too. And just as, like, uh, the, the jailer is about to kill himself because he has failed at his job, Paul says, hey, hey, man, you haven't failed. We, we're all still here. And this jailer uh, goes to Paul and says, why would you do that? Paul shares the gospel with him. He comes to faith in Jesus. Then this jailer goes back. He tells his whole family about that. They come to faith in Jesus, and then, boom. The chapter is just sort of like over. Paul's like, so then we left. And that's kind of the end, right? And basically, like, uh, in fact, the very last line, it says that they take this jailer to Lydia and to the brothers, to whoever sort of existed as the church in that moment, puts them all together, and then just sort of like walks away and just sort of like wipes his hands of it, you know? Which is kind of a strange thing, and, and, you know, we have a really complex relationship, especially nowadays. Uh, if you've been a Christian, you might have these sort of, like, weird feelings about, like, uh, short-term mission trips. You know, you just kind of pop into a place and try and do some good stuff and then leave. And a lot of times it can be, like, sort of, you know, voluntourism or whatever and, and not really all that, like, meaningful, impactful. But here we see Paul, like, dropping in. He meets just like a few people. We really just get these three stories, uh, Lydia, the demon-possessed girl, and then them in jail. And then, boom, there's a church there. And then 10 years later, Paul is hanging out in Rome. He's actually in prison during this time. And 10 years later, he writes this letter to the Philippians to let them know just how grateful he is for them. Obviously, something had been going on in the intermediary time. Something had been happening there in Philippi. Uh, and we're going to find out a lot more of that through, as we go through the book of Philippians. That sort of gives you the background of who these people are to Paul. 
And I don't know about you, but uh, I have some sort of relationships like this in my life, you know? Those people that you hung out with for a very short amount of time, you haven't seen them for 10 years, and yet somehow you're still sort of keeping in touch with each other. Uh, you'll see through the book of Philippians that it seems like uh, the, the believers at Philippi had actually sent Paul some money to help him while he was in prison. Uh, they had sent uh, this guy that he had become friends with there to sort of come and encourage him. And so, as Paul opens up this letter, he doesn't start by saying, here's this theological treatise that you need to know. Here's like 12 things that you need to know about Jesus. He instead opens up by saying, I am incredibly grateful to you. I'm going to read this again, and I want you to check out just his general posture towards the believers in Philippi. And I want you to like check out this feeling language that he uses through this. Uh, it's kind of unlike Paul. Paul can be kind of severe at times, and this is far and beyond his most joyous letter. Look at the ways in which he describes the way that he feels about these Philippian believers. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and be so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. What a generous and beautiful way to feel about people, right? Paul doesn't open up by saying, hey, you guys should be more grateful. He just opens up by showing them the way that he very naturally lives his life. None of this feels forced, does it? Like this all just sort of like flows. It's like stream of consciousness. He just sort of like bounces from one like beautiful and poetic phrase to the next just to be able to tell people how thankful he is for them. I think what this is meant to show us, and uh, bear in mind here that Paul had been a Christian for, for years now, and it had been a full-on decade since he had left the, the Philippians, right? So uh, Paul is actively persecuting the church. He's working hard against them. Then he goes uh, down this road to Damascus, has this transformative experience with Jesus, becomes a follower of Jesus. Then he goes on this first missionary journey, and then he goes on the second missionary journey. And then he goes to Rome, and he's stuck there, and he's in prison, and he writes this letter to the Philippians. And it's sort of now this case where he's like, he's not a new believer anymore. He's not still just trying to figure out like what Jesus is and, and what he's all about. And uh, he's now been a believer for a long time. And because of that, it has actually shaped him to where he becomes this very, very grateful person. This person who writes this huge letter and writes in the very beginning this sort of poetic description of just how grateful he is to God for these people. And I think that if this tells us anything, I think it tells us something of the posture of Christians, something of the way in which we ought to look at the world. That Paul here, having been a Christian, having loved God and having done his work for many, many years, has now become an exceptionally grateful and generous person. 
And this is not necessarily how I would describe most Christians. In fact, uh, last night we were at the airport, and uh, it was as awful as you might expect, actually. Uh, we land at like 7.30 after our flight had been delayed from Atlanta. We land at 7.30 and get off the plane at 9.30, which for those of you guys keeping track of the timeline, not ideal, not great. Then uh, we hop off, and uh, Sarah's like waiting on the bags. I go and shovel out our car in negative 18 degrees wind chill, which I didn't even know was a thing, you know? Like I was like, ah, humans can't live in that. And then I saw a guy walk in with shorts, and I was like, all right, I guess I'll be all right. So uh, while I'm doing that, Sarah's like grabbing the bags. And um, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever flown to and from Atlanta. It's, it's kind of the worst. I mean, we like Atlanta a lot, but something about that plane ride and, you know, I'm one of those people. That's the terrible thing. Like, I know I fall into this category, too. But, man, there are some interesting folks flying back from Denver to Atlanta. And so uh, Sarah's hanging out at the baggage claim. She's standing near the little desk. Uh, it's, like, snowy and icy outside. Everything is backed up like mad. And uh, this uh, lady comes up to the desk, and she's like, do you know where the Denver bags are? We need the Denver bags. And the lady behind the desk is like, well, it's pretty icy out there. It should be coming up on this carousel at some point. We don't even know. And they're like, can't you do anything? And she's like, I'm sitting here at a desk. I'm not riding one of those weird little tiny trucks, right? Uh, you know how people get. Like, you just get mad and you just want to yell at somebody, and so you just find the nearest person. I also, uh, while I was in the Atlanta airport, man, I'm really trashing Atlanta. Atlanta's fine if you want to live there. While I was in the Atlanta airport, this one uh, husband and wife walked up to the, uh, the cop who's directing traffic, right? This is a, uh, a police officer, right? Not someone with a green vest working at the airport. They walk up and they say, hey, do you know where the shuttle is? And the cop was like, I think it's down there. The husband says, hey, do you know where the shuttle is? The cop says, hey, it's down. I think it's down there. And uh, the wife walks up and she says, it's not down there. And the cop is like, you ask me for help. Like, what are you guys even doing? Anyway, uh, so Sarah's standing there at this checkout or at this counter next to the bags. And this lady says, hey, when are the bags going to get there? And so they just start like complaining, complaining, complaining. And then finally, this is the most beautiful and terrible part. Finally, the bags start rolling down the carousel. And she looks up and she goes, praise the Lord, there is a God, and then walks over there and grabs her bag and probably proceeds to chew out an Uber driver, right? Like that is in some ways the world's perception, and maybe it's not so wrong of so many Christians. Like what would be different about the world if we were actually known for being grateful people? If Christians were actually like, oh, when you deal with Christians, you actually get a lot of gratitude, maybe even like over-the-top thankfulness for what you're doing and who you are. But instead, we are actually known, like none of, none of you were like, I can't believe someone who thinks they're a Christian would do this in this story. You're all like, yeah, yeah, that tracks. That sounds about right. It's sad, really. You know, different companies have uh, different like perceptions and cultures around who they are. They sort of build that into who they are. If you're at Chick-fil-A and they don't say my pleasure when you say thank you to them, then you should just walk out of that Chick-fil-A immediately because it's a sham. It's not a real Chick-fil-A, right? Like that's how they operate. And I think as Christians here, at least in Paul's example, as we see from his life, this is the way in which we ought to be known for being just absurdly grateful people. And if you think about good Christians that you do know, you think about people who have been following Jesus for a long time, that you trust a lot, that you love a lot, that are chasing hard after Jesus, are they not the most grateful people? 
Like, are they not the most, like, kind and generous with their gratitude kind of people out there? I remember I was hanging out with one of my mentors uh, over this past month at some point, and I was just, uh, we were, like, getting up from dinner, and I was about to say, like, man, thank you so much for investing in me. Like, you don't have to waste any of your time to do this. And we stand up, and before I can get into that, he goes, man, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for allowing me to, you know, be a part of your life and do all this stuff. And I'm like, no, 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 thank you. Like, I am a sham that is wasting your time. I am this schmuck out here who is just taking up what you could be doing with your valuable time. My time is worth nothing, right? Like, you know, if it wasn't, if I wasn't here, I'd be wasting it on something else. And instead, you have allowed me to actually be here, making it sound like this is some really, like, important person. He's a great guy. And I was glad to be in his presence, and instead, he is thanking me. I think this is a marker that you're going to find in Christians. And I thought about this a lot as to why that would be the case, right? I'm always trying to think through, like, uh, if, you know, Scripture tells us that we are to live a certain way, why in the world would Christians be any better than anybody else at this? And I think it comes down to this one simple idea. At the very heart of Christianity, at the very heart of everything that we are as followers of Jesus, we are people who have received something that we did not deserve. We are people who have been given something that we could have never earned, that we couldn't bring about of our own power and authority. And Paul says that it's actually right for him to feel this way. You see this in verse 7. It is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace. So it is right for me to feel grateful. It is right for me to feel good. It is right for me to feel thankful to you all because I hold you in my heart. For we are all, you and I, are all partakers of grace. Paul is saying it is, rightful, it is right for me to feel grateful to God for you because we have all experienced the same grace. This is the same kind of vibe of those, like, uh, you ever see, like, on the news or something, there's, like, a chain on a drive-thru where somebody's like, yeah, I'll pay for the guy behind me, and then they pay for the guy behind them, pay for the guy behind them. Have you guys ever seen this, you know? becomes this, like, 200-car-long, that last guy that pulls up is like, ah, I was just getting that sweet tea. I don't know if I should. Uh, the next guy ordered a nugget tray. I don't know if this is possible for me, right? Uh, I do always wonder how it ends, you know, because by the end, those those drive through people have to be like, so we're at 198. And that guy's like, oh, uh, I just had a coupon. Anyway, um, you know, you've seen that, right? It's these people that something really good and kind and gracious happens to them and then they pass it along. That's exactly what Paul is talking about here. He says, I can be grateful to you. I can be thankful. And it is a good and right thing for me to feel this way about you all because you like me, are a partaker in grace. You are someone who has experienced the grace of Jesus Christ. I mean, follow this line. Because I was a sinner and didn't deserve anything. So a sinner just means someone who is uh, working outside of God's good and perfect plan for humanity, working against what God wants for us. Because of that... The God of the universe chose to send his son down to die for me. And it's important to note that. It's important to like carry this simple idea around in your head that you didn't do a single thing to deserve being welcomed into the family of God. You didn't do a single thing to deserve being a follower of Jesus. You didn't do a single thing to earn your salvation. 
Being a person who sort of like lives and exists off of the kindness of someone else shapes you into a more grateful person. And that is exactly what each and every one of us as followers of Jesus are. That moment, even in the slightest of moments, when you start thinking to yourself, like, I'm a follower of Jesus because I was smart enough to make this choice. I'm a follower of Jesus because I was good enough for him to accept me. I'm a follower of Jesus because I am better than these other people. The second that that idea is allowed to creep into your mind, you are missing the gospel entirely. The gospel is built around the idea that you bring absolutely nothing to the table. We bring sin, we bring death, we bring uh, rebellion against the God that is trying to save us. We bring pain. And what God gives you in exchange is eternal life with him. The only response then to this great and good gift is actually gratitude to God. His thankfulness. You know, a lot of times as Christians, we all get sort of like wrapped up in our head of like, well, I can't really earn my salvation, so why would I go about doing good works? Like, why do I need to work hard for God? God's already given me my salvation, so I don't want to, like, try and earn it. Like, I don't want to try and, you know, rebuild the wheel by trying to just say, like, okay, I'm going to do really good stuff, so then God will love me more. I know he can't love me more. We get locked up in our heads in that whole kind of idea. And you can come to this place where you say, like, man, why do anything good at all? I think it's caught up right here. That we don't try to live righteous lives. We don't try and be representatives of Jesus here on earth to try and get any more salvation or love from God. We do it out of gratitude for what he has done for us. The only response to this good and perfect gift of God is gratitude. And the best thing is that it doesn't require anything from us. That's why I think it's a pretty good uh, New Year's resolution if you're into that thing. It really does not actually require a single thing from you. You don't have to have any money to be grateful. You don't have to have any extra time to be grateful. You don't even have to, like, study anything. There's no training involved. Uh, you don't even have to sort of, like, be uh, a – you don't even have to call yourself a Christian. You don't even have to, like, have any sort of, like, affiliation with anything at all to be grateful. All it requires from you is just sort of the willingness, the effort to take that extra step and to be thankful. Uh, I've realized, actually, um, over these past few years, I think I have become a more grateful person. Yes, you can all hold your applause. Uh, That sounded really, like, uh, prideful. I'm thankful that you guys will allow me to be a little prideful. Um, I realized over these past few years, uh, especially in church planting, uh, I exist and I am allowed to do my job here at Dwell Church. And we are allowed to be Dwell Church uh, based solely on the kindness of so many strangers. So many people from around the country are actually contributing their hard-earned, let's just talk uh, about money right now, let's not even talk about the other efforts that are being put towards this, but just specifically in the realm of money that there are people around the country right now who are giving uh, just so they can see this kingdom of God mission here at Dwell Church come to fruition. And I realized uh, while they're not just you know putting money in my pocket and they're not just, you know, 
giving me directly things, but they're giving it to dwell. And then because of that, I'm allowed to have my salary and everything like that. Like I realized that like that means that I sort of exist just because other people are kind and generous with their money because other people are convicted and believe that like God is doing something here and want to be a part of it by giving. And, and that's just, I, I, I bring all of that up. I know it's kind of like, you know, sort of weird to sort of tease that out. But what it's made me realize is that I, my only response to each and every one of those people, as much as I could like try and earn it and pay back, as much as I could try and be like, Man, thanks for what you've done. My only response ever is just gratitude. That's all I have to bring to the table in these relationships, right? And so part of even like traveling around when I like visit, you know, church partners and stuff is just like going there and saying, man, thank you, thank you, thank you. Very much like Paul, who's just sort of received some money from these from this Philippian church. And he's going or he's writing them this letter to say, man, I am exceptionally grateful for you. That is the posture that it puts us in. And I realized that the reason why it was difficult for me over the past few years to actually be able to wrap my mind around that is because that is not how so much of the rest of the world works. If this were any other startup and these were just regular investors, then my sort of response and responsibility to them would be giving them a return on their investment. And we considered that. I talked it over with the finance team that, you know, the people who gave to dwell early on could get a portion of tithes later on. And they said, no, that's not cool. Churches don't really pay out like that. Uh, there's not a good uh, ROI happening there. Uh, no, there's nothing like that. There's nothing that I can just sort of do to be able to repay these people. And I think in a lot of our sort of like American mindset of like, man, you got to work hard and earn your way and you got to work your way through and you got to make it happen yourself. Nobody else is going to do it for you. When you end up in a situation where your only response to someone is just being thankful, you feel like you owe them something. You feel like, man, I, I am indebted to this person somehow. And yet, if we, like Paul, are people who are recipients of something that first and foremost we could have never earned, if we are recipients of the grace of Jesus Christ, something that we could not have brought about ourselves, then we live our entire lives in light of the fact that we have been given something that we can't repay, and we must sort of reconcile with that idea. If, like Paul, someone who's a follower of Jesus has invested in you, which they have just by virtue of you being a part of Dwell Church. There are people out there who are supporting everything that happens here. But I'm sure if you think back, if someone has ever told you about Jesus, if someone has ever shared that, even it's a family member, maybe it's a Sunday school teacher from when you were growing up, maybe it's a friend who actually invited you here. And we ought to be living our lives in such profound, beautiful, and holy gratitude towards those people. My admonition and my hope for you this year is that you would be grateful in two ways. And I, you know, I've already given my rant about resolutions. Don't plan that you have to do it the whole year. Maybe just try it this afternoon. Maybe you just want to write one thank you note. Maybe like the lowest possible uh, input that you could do. Now, look, I'm going to very seldom do the guilt trip, but I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to bust it out. I could actually call you out by name right now, so look out. I will do it, all right? Here comes the guilt trip. The lowest possible response to a sermon that you could possibly have is just this afternoon sending a, a text to someone just saying thanks. 
You could literally just say thanks. You might even just do a thumbs up emoji, all right? I'm making this the lowest guilt trip possible, okay? Uh, just shoot somebody one of those. I don't know if there's an emoji that means thanks. Maybe the prayer hands. Anyway, uh, that is the lowest possible thing. And I say all that to say, like, uh, the reason why I'm justifying my guilt trip is because, uh, man, if we just come in here and you guys listen to me ramble and sort of, like, give me sympathy chuckles for 30 minutes every Sunday, then we're all wasting our time. If this doesn't change the way that we live, then I'm not really sure that there's any point in any of this. I actually got some sympathy chuckles for that joke. That was delightful. Anyway, um, <clears throat> Man, maybe it just looks like over the over this afternoon as you're sort of like chilling or cleaning your house or something like that, you actually call up somebody and say, hey, thanks for your impact in my life. I know this is weird and it's coming out of nowhere, but my pastor gave me a guilt trip, so I had to do it. Maybe uh, over this next week, you try and find different ways for the people that are regularly and actively supporting you, whether it's the barista at your coffee shop, maybe it's, the, uh, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's even your kids to just say, man, I am thankful that you are my kids. I am thankful for what you do and how you uh, build our family. Maybe it's like actually thankful to your parents. I mean, uh, many of us have just come back from sort of like traveling to visit family or seeing family somehow. And so saying thank you to the people that are in your life. That's my sort of challenge to you. Take a second and actually see what that would look for, look like. Take a second and see what that would look like to actually interact with those people on that level. And the beautiful thing about this and why I think it's possible as a New Year's resolution is because I don't think anybody's going to come back next year, next week and be like, Josh, you led me astray. I did the guilt trip. I said thanks. And it backfired on me. It was terrible, and I hated it. And so did the person, I think. No, that's not going to happen. This is the easiest resolution of all, and is actually going to shape you to look more like Jesus. And the last challenge that I have for you. So the first challenge is thank someone for anything. That's all it really is. But especially if someone has helped point you towards God and has been leading you somewhere uh, to actually do his will, thank them. Thank them for that. The last challenge is simply this. Thank God for everything. If you notice, Paul opens this entire passage in verse 3 by saying, I thank my God in in all my remembrance of you. So for as much as he is looking at these people living in in Philippi and saying, I am thankful for you. Thank you for what you do. He is starting off the entire thing by saying, thank God for what he is doing in me and through you and through our relationship. I am grateful for you. And I am grateful to God. Lastly, I want to leave you with another passage from Paul. This is Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 through 17. He says, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church, So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.